This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. He literally called me on a Monday and, and said, Hey, man, uh, I, need, uh, I need to make a change on my driver. You want to drive this thing <laughs> this weekend? And I'm like, yeah, sure. of course. <laughs> you know, and okay. All right, man, thank you. I'll catch you later. That's it. That was the conversation. That's how we hired me. No right? details. No details. No, no hey, like, we're hey, going to get you races. fitted in the car nope. here. Welcome to Kelly Earnhardt Miller's Fast Lane Family, presented by Wella Professionals. Salon care products that you can experience with your senses. Get high performance you can see, touch, and sense. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Fast Lane Family. I'm Tiff Daniels, filling in once again for Kelly, who is currently in Germany with Dale. Hope they're having a good time, and huge congratulations to Dale and Amy on their engagement. We're excited for them to get back and hear about it. We've got a great show for you today, another one of your recommendations from our Periscope Brainstorm, and a familiar name in Sprint Cup competition, driver Landon Castle is here in the Dirty Mo Radio studios. Stick around later for our Wella Professionals Tip of the Week, where they are going to tell us how to extend the life of our hairstyle. Hi, Landon. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm I'm very honored that I was uh, brought in here upon request. Oh, yeah. We did a whole Periscope session brainstorming, like, who do the <laughs> fans want to see come in? That's and awesome. Landon Castle came up, so here you are. That's awesome. <laughs> we appreciate you making time to come in. Well, thank you very much, and thank you, fans, and thank you, Periscope. What an interesting application. Yeah. <laughs> We've actually been having a good time with it. Some of them are... Uh, less professional than others we'll say but yeah. we've been having fun <laughs> i i um so when it first came out like i kind of watched it and i didn't really sign up right away and i haven't really used it i just used it on my run from charlotte um so the snap fitness folks just kind of followed me and stuff and and it was cool because i was kind of having a conversation with a lot of the people but it's like there's so many social media platforms right now yeah that i was like man do i need to add another one right like, <laughs> like how long is this one going to stick around? Yeah. Is it really worth starting to use well, and, and it's try to great. use correctly? And, and, it's, and it's super interactive, but like it already takes me 10 minutes to get through my phone and Instagram and Twitter and check right. my emails and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, 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 I'm, I like Periscope, but I'm not diving into it quite yet. Yeah. And we've been trying to figure out, like, when do we do a Periscope? We have no real plan in place. Like, sometimes we're just like, oh, this will be funny for a Periscope. Let's try it out. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's, I've, I've seen some good ones, and uh, and I think there is some, some good ways to do it. So it's it's cool, though. I'm, I'm glad that Periscope got me here. That's, yeah. that's really <laughs> neat. Thank you, fans. So, Landon, let's go through starting out. You started racing when you were really young. What got you into it? I just, I, I mean, I grew up in a car business in Iowa, and um, I always loved racing as a kid. My dad always took me to the races. We always went to the dirt track. Uh, we went to Hawkeye Down Speedway and watched races on Friday nights. And um, when I was like eight years old, I got a go-kart. My brother and I got go-karts. And, and, and actually, before that, we rode four-wheelers, and we raced each other on those, but didn't like race anything sanctioned or anything like that until we started go-kart racing and just kind of became a passion it was you know something that was more of a a fun thing to do with family and and uh way for my brother and I to spend time with our dad and uh it went from from that to something that was pretty serious over a couple years and and by the time I was 12 13 years old um you know we were looking at ways to uh progress my racing from from go-kart racing to uh something at a little higher level and that's where we went to full-body stock cars and, and raced some Legends cars. And, and by that time, we were traveling all over the country. We had won a lot of stuff in go-kart racing. So we were I was getting to be kind of familiar with the whole 
sponsorship and representing teams and, and brands and things like that, even at a go-kart level, because I was driving for a chassis builder that was giving me uh, free chassis, and I had to nice. represent them. Even as a 9- or 10-year-old, it, se it seems kind of silly, but, uh, but I mean, that's a serious business for a lot of people, and, and uh, it was cool to represent a chassis builder, and, and so we moved on to full-body stock cars, and it cost a lot of money to race at that uh, to race late models around the country. So we had sponsors, um, from in town and, um, that, that pitched in and helped us out. So, you know, by the time I was 14, 15, 16 years old, it was kind of, I was, I was going through the motions of what it was like to be a real race car driver. Um, and, uh, and got a lot of opportunities from there. And so growing up in Iowa, I feel like you're more, sprint car based typically or maybe dirt racing based what got you into i want to go the nascar route with yeah. the full body stock cars asphalt it was really just timing in my age there at the time there was only one asphalt track in iowa which there's only two right now the iowa speedway and hawkeye down speedway in cedar rapids and hawkeye down speedway is where i grew up and um we were we had kind of outgrown go-kart racing by the time I was 12 years old and I was too young to go dirt racing in a full-size modified because you had to be 16 and none of the tracks uh, would really accommodate any drivers under 16. The, the Hawkeye Down Speedway was pretty familiar with me and the promoter there, Jim Amstutz, um, who was a, was a really good promoter and knew what his fans wanted, knew what his fans were looking for and knew how to put on a good show, um, he he really wanted me to run their lo their weekly show on Friday nights um, because he knew that that the the weekly show needed uh, a fresh young driver. That's um, awesome. And uh, and it was really cool. He kind of he really stuck his neck out there to get me a part of their weekly show, and uh, and he claimed that by having me a part of their Friday night show that brought an extra five hundred to a thousand fans every week. And, uh, and which That's was really amazing. cool. Yeah. And so it was really cool. We were traveling a lot at the time. So I was kind of getting a lot of like local attention in the newspapers. So it was neat to see, have a promoter at the local track that was like, man, we, you know, if this guy can come to our, our racetrack every week, um, it can really help out our program. And, uh, and so that's kind of what got me to the asphalt direction, um, instead of going sprint car racing and, and, and we were really close to like dirt modified stuff yep. or sprint cars. We, we were, very very close to um to the Ford Focus midgets which I'm glad we didn't <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean it's uh it was just the, the way that timing worked out with my age um I started racing out Hawkeye Downs and and uh and and raced some full body stock cars on asphalt that's pretty cool cool story for how you yeah, got yeah, in that direction neat. and smart on the part of the promoter to bring in a young face. That yeah, sounds it, like it worked out really well, well for him. And, and, and over, over the years, um, it, it definitely helped the speedway. Um, not, and not just me. I mean, I wasn't, there's nothing I, I'm, I, mean, I wasn't magical. I mean, it just, I think at the time the speedway just needed a young face. And, and at the time I was, I was familiar to a lot of the local race fans, but after me, uh, there's been a lot of drivers that uh, that have come through Hawkeye Down Speedway that have seen a lot of success. Like Joey Gase is one of them. He's racing in the Xfinity yeah. Series. And Brett Moffitt um, came through Hawkeye Downs. Uh, he's in the Cup Series right now, Michael Annette. So um, it's pretty cool to kind of be a part of all that. And you said your brother raced when you were growing up. But since then, I know you have a brother and a sister, right? Yep. You all do really interesting things. <laughs> yeah, we're interesting people. <laughs> that's for sure. Talk a little bit. So when did he stop racing and 
that become just your thing. And then it seems like both of them have yeah. definitely had their share of exciting yeah, opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my brother, Zach, he's, uh, he's just a little over a year older than I am. He raced with me from that kind of 8 to 12-year-old range. And he probably had a lot more natural ability than I did. Um, he was always a little faster than I was. He he won before I ever did, uh, but I was definitely way more into it um, than he was. You know, I was the one that that was uh, really interested in learning about my car and, and focusing on building building my go kart and things like that. And and he he enjoyed it um, as a hobby. And and when things got really serious, he started. You know, he he his real passion, what he was into, is is outdoors and fishing and things like that. So, so I started racing, you know, full time and really focusing efforts on that. And, uh, and he was there more, he quit driving and started supporting and, and, uh, and really focusing on fishing as well to the point that he actually fished professionally for a few years while he was in college. Which when I saw that, <laughs> I was like, wow, how do you end up as a professional fisherman? Yeah. It's amazing. He, he's, uh, <laughs> he's just, he's an incredibly talented fisherman which is uh which is crazy to say but i mean the the kid knows everything there is to know about fish um he he's got incredible um coordination with a fishing pole and a reel and and he can cast his his <laughs> reel and and put it wherever you want you know he used to sit in the basement and just sling it across the basement and land it in a coffee cup that's and, crazy and reel it back to him and land it in a coffee cup he could do 100 in a row so wow um <laughs> So yeah, so he, through college he um he kind of helped pay for his college by fishing on the FLW tour, which was really neat. But he got a double major in ecology and geology and he lives in Denver, Colorado right now as a geologist. Nice. Um, and uh he's a ge- geosteering geologist, which is uh which is a really cool job. It's a really high demand job and and um he my dad and I always joke about Zach because he's he's a little bit of a free spirit. He's definitely not a rule follower. Um, he's got some tattoos. He's got, you know, he's he's got some edge. He he's just a grungy bachelor dude through college. He's one of those guys that you're like, you're always just worried that he's gonna like he's not gonna make it, right? But he's brilliant minded, and you know, of course, ends up he always lands on his feet in any kind of predicament. And of course, you know, he ends up with this. He's got a great paying job. He works in a great industry. Uh, lives in Denver in a you know, in a, in a really cool flat downtown. And it's just like, you look at him That's and it's awesome. like, he's doing better than any of us. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's smarter than all of us. And probably happy as can <laughs> yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my little sister, um, she's kind of the real athlete in the family. She, um, she's been a figure skater for a long time, uh, since she was, I mean, old enough to stand up and, um, she's competed at a national level in figure skating. She's done a lot of ice shows. That's awesome. Um, she's, She's had uh, opportunities to uh, uh, to do a lot of traveling ice shows and things like that, but she's in college right now um, at the University of Denver. Um, so she's also out in Colorado, which is nice. really cool. And she's a she's a incredibly hard worker. She's her and I our personalities are pretty similar. We're a little bit laid back, and um, we've got kind of a dry sense of humor sometimes. So uh, so we get along pretty well like that. Um, but she's a, she's a pretty impressive person as well. So have you had to learn about figure skating as you're growing <laughs> up too, um, so, so that you could be able to talk your language a little yeah, bit? Yeah, <laughs> I definitely can't talk the figure skating yeah. language. Um, <laughs> Me neither. It's, it's tough, but she's, um, you know, the, the, the cool thing about, about my sister and my brother and, and, the, and the things that I've learned as a kid that we learned from our parents, is just that hard work and dedication and, and and echo my sister 
through all four years of high school, she got up every morning at 5.30 a.m. and skated before school. And then she skated after school as well. And uh, and and I'm I'm a believer. I've, I've read the Malcolm um, Gladwell books, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of that or mm-hmm. um, seen uh, the Outliers and David vers- David David and Goliath and things like that. But um, you know, I'm a firm believer in in putting in your 10,000 hours um, and in order to become uh, to master something. Right. And uh, and that's something that's that I'm pretty proud of as a family and 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 myself. I feel like we're a we're really good examples of, of people that put in our 10,000 hours of something that we love and that we're passionate about. My brother with fishing and my sister with ice skating, uh, you know, myself with race car driving. Yep. Um, and my dad led by example through his work ethic and, and what he does for a living in, in the car business. And, uh, and you can definitely look at us from a distance and, and think, man, you know, what a f- fortunate group of people. And, and, and we certainly are, but, but man, it's just it's just hard work gets yeah, it you takes places. Takes a lot of dedication. Yeah, it takes ten thousand hours. I mean, it's look it up, read about it. And, you know, there's a book called The Outliers. It's really interesting. And and uh, when you if if you're really good at something, think about it for a minute and think about how long you've worked at that because you'll realize that you've probably put ten thousand hours worth yeah. of work into it. And and uh, and that's how long it takes to become to master something. And I think I read somewhere um, when you were growing up racing that it was one of your dad's rules that you worked on your own cars and if mm-hmm. you wrecked it, you had to fix it. So it sounds yeah. like that was definitely, <laughs> yeah, I definitely from an early did. age. I was, that was kind of the rule was if I wrecked it, I had to fix it. Um, you know, setting them up and stuff and making them fast is a tough thing to do when you're young. But, uh, but it was pretty easy for my dad to say, if you wreck it, you got to fix it. And, uh, and it actually kind of created a little bit of a passion for me um, when I was racing late models. And, and at the time, NASCAR was getting really, the technology in NASCAR was getting pretty advanced with wind tunnels. And uh, aero was a big deal. So I was, of course, I was fixing my wrecked race car. So naturally, I was interested in the aerodynamics and right. the body and the way that the fabrication side of things. So, so I actually was able to um, do all of our fabrication in-house on our late models. So we didn't have to send them out to get bodies done or anything like that. And I was hanging the bodies, doing the interior work on my cars. That's cool. And and it was it was it was fun for me because through networking and being a high energy teenager that just cared about racing, I'd make friends in the NASCAR world and I'd pick their brains about aerodynamics or what they learned in the wind tunnel. And uh, you know, I'd do the same things to my late model, which yeah. probably didn't do anything <laughs> for my late model because it's nothing like a a Sprint Cup car or a, or or an Xfinity car, but. But you know, I felt like I was doing a good thing. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it, and if, if and if, in the long run, it paid off. Oh, of course it did. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I learned how to build my cars from from top to bottom. Yeah. So, uh, my crew chief um, on the late model stuff was a guy who actually works here at Junior Motorsports right now. His name is Rich Lucius. Nice. Um, he's the truck chief on uh, on the Junior Motorsports. That's uh, awesome. Camping World Trucks. So, so they just brought home a win this weekend. Yes, they so, did. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a pretty valuable guy over there. So. Uh, it's cool to see him in victory lane. That's great. While you were growing up racing, it seems like you hit a big career turning point when you were about 15, 16. Um, so tell us how that opportunity kind of came about when you um, got the chance. It was some kind of GM tryout from yeah. what I understand and then getting the opportunity with Hendrick Motorsports from there. Yeah. Um, so in like 2006 and 2007, or, or really ranging from like 2003 to 2007, was a really hot time for young drivers in NASCAR. Um, the teams, all the teams had uh, a pretty good amount of money to 
to invest in young drivers, and it was a a really big thing for teams to find a young driver they believed in and 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 put a lot of money behind them. And uh, Chevrolet at the time wanted to give those teams, give their teams, an opportunity to view a group of young drivers all together and kind of just see how they run. You know, there there was no there was no winner or loser per se to the drivers. I mean, they Chevy compiled a report and had a ranking system of all the gotcha. drivers in the test, but they basically invited 16 drivers um, and invited all the Chevy teams to watch these 16 drivers test a Bush series car at Caraway. Um, okay. And then we took a dirt late model to um, a racetrack in Georgia. And then they cut eight drivers after those two tests and they took the f- the finalists or whatever you'd consider it, they took another eight drivers to Nashville Super Speedway um, to drive a Bush Series car. So it was kind of interesting. We kind of all got to know each other. How did they pick those 16 drivers in the first place? You know, like how you got Um, identified? It was, I think they gave the teams an opportunity to kind of invite the drivers. So they, you know, the the big teams at the time – um, I mean, Haas was one of them. Hendrick, obviously, Gibbs, RCR. They they all kind of selected a couple guys and said, "Hey, you, you, here's a couple drivers we're, we've been looking at. You know, yep. we'd like those guys to go to the test so we can watch them." And then obviously they got to see all the drivers once you got there. So um, it was really neat. I've I actually um, I made it through all three stages, um, learned a ton, made some good relationships, and uh, and actually got a contract offer from Hendrick Motorsports. Um, to be one of their young drivers, or to be their young driver at the time, and uh, and my primary job would be to test moving forward, and that was my first step into the world of NASCAR. So it was a neat field. There was a a really cool group of drivers. I mean, it, uh, Joey Logano was actually in that group, and then another one that's really neat was Ryan Hunter Ray was there. Oh, nice. Um, won the Indy 500 last year. So it's kind of neat that this was almost 10 years ago, and yeah, yet, and seeing where everyone is you know, now, see where some of these guys ended up. And you graduated high school early so that you could move down here yep. and move down with your grandmother. What was that like? Because that <laughs> seems interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I was only 17 years old, so I, I don't think I was uh, had the maturity to, to be thrown <laughs> to the wolves quite yet. But uh, my grandmother and I had a re- have a really close relationship, and we did at the time. And, and so her and I moved down together, and we were roommates. And she, uh, she helped awesome. take care of me and, and watch over me. and as I spent my first few years in, in the sport. And had she been pretty involved watching you race growing up? Yeah, she had. Um, she uh, There was actually one year, uh, one of my last years of go-kart racing uh, when I was about 10 years old. My dad's car business got really busy, and he didn't have the time to be able to go go-kart racing to the level that we had been doing. But I was also at probably at my highest level of self-sufficiency in terms of working on my go-karts and maintaining them myself and and being able to work on them. So there was probably six or eight traveling races around the country that my dad couldn't make it to. So my grandma and I um, did those races together. And we literally loaded a go-kart up in a little trailer in a pickup truck. And her and I would go go go-kart racing. And we raced in North Carolina, we raced in Tennessee, we raced in Indiana, and we went to a handful of tracks, just the two that's of us. That's great. I feel like that's the coolest grandma ever. <laughs> <laughs> she's a very cool grandma when she's scraping the rubber off the tires and, and, yeah, uh, and washing awesome. them. So at Hendrick, you were a test driver for Jimmy, for or for all the drivers, because I know you've compared um, your driving style to Jimmy's when mm-hmm. you're looking at data being most similar to him. Yeah. Um, I tested 
Uh, I tested it for Hendrick for five years, so I did every bit of testing for every team and every driver that you, every yeah. combination you could have thought of. But primarily, it seemed like the 48 team and Chad and I had the closest relationship in terms of how much he wanted to use me. And so I did the most testing uh, for the 48 team, if you were to compare all four teams. And uh, and I've got championship rings from them too. So it's awesome. really cool to, to kind of be recognized as part of those teams over the course of those years. So, um, And at that time, you could test a lot more than yeah, you can we, now. Yeah, we tested almost weekly. I mean, we were always going somewhere. And, and it wasn't always just making the car go faster. Sometimes it was durability testing or or um, aero mapping for the simulation programs. There's a lot of stuff that I got to be involved with uh, that were that were really neat, and, and you could actually see the result going from the test and seeing them apply it to the race car on the racetrack and, and, and then watching them come home with the trophy. So I really felt like I was a part of something, and, and, and I learned an awful lot about Jimmy's driving style and, and learned a lot about myself. And, and, uh, and I feel like I have a similar driving style to Jimmy, but from working with him for five years and, and looking at his data for five years, I definitely adapted to be more like him as well because that I was driving sense. his cars. Right. So going back to uh, your driving career, you made your Xfinity debut in 2007. So at the time, I guess that would have been Nationwide Series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bush Series. We're, oh, Bush Series. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting used to get like trying to say Xfinity. So I'm trying to get that right every time that I talk about <laughs> yeah. it. But that's great. Um, so it was at Gateway. You just turned 18. And then the following year, you won Rookie of the Year, yeah. which is awesome. Was, do you remember, like, looking back, what were highlights from that time getting started? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely there, – there's a lot of highlights and lowlights for me in that time. I mean, I just I, – I look back on, on myself and, and reflect on what I went through, how I handled a lot of situations, and, and, uh, and I had so much to learn at that time. I was just I – was, I was very young and, and very immature and, and – um, and fortunately, I had a lot of people that cared about me and, and to keep giving me opportunities even beyond 2008. I qualified on the pole in Loudoun, which was a was an exciting race for me. And that was um, in one of our junior motorsports yep, cars. This I was think. all for junior motorsports that I drove in 2008. And I had a lot of really good runs that I was really proud of. But I also I, I still didn't know how the world worked yet. You know, I hadn't. I hadn't grown up yet, and it was really cool to have that kind of opportunity. But but I I, I probably wasn't ready for it. You know, a lot of this, it's it's hard to get that kind of shot when you're 18 or 19 years old. So right, um, it was really cool to kind of go beyond that and get further support from Hendrick to continue to test and to get opportunities from James Finch um, at such a young age to drive his Cup car and those guys that stuck with me when they probably probably should have fired me <laughs> a few times, <laughs> uh, but they didn't. And so how is Finch to drive for? Because he's been around the sport for a long time, and I've heard a lot of fun yeah. stories about that. So I'm wondering if you have any in particular yeah, that stand I, out. Yeah, I, I definitely have had some fun times with him, probably plenty that I can't share on the <laughs> air. <laughs> you know, when you're the token 19-year-old with a group of guys like that, they're a little rough around the edges, and uh, and they, <laughs> you know, they like to give a 19-year-old kid some experiences in life, I guess, but... Uh, but James, James is a very tough person to drive for. He's, he's a, he's a tough boss. Um, I used to always joke that like I would just avoid my phone on Mondays because <laughs> if my phone rang on Mondays, I was just nervous because I knew I was going to get fired. <laughs> if I, if I could make it past Monday, I was okay. But <laughs> James is, uh, he's, he's just one of those people that, um, he's extremely caring and has a great heart, but he doesn't like to show it. 
you know he doesn't like to he doesn't like to admit it he'll just kind of do something for you <laughs> and um and when i drove for him i mean he called me up and and there's no you know there was no deal there was no contract there's no negotiation it was you know he he literally called me on a monday and and said hey man uh i need i need to make a change on my driver you want to drive this thing <laughs> this weekend and i'm like yeah sure. <laughs> of course you know and okay all right man thank you i'll catch you later that's it. That was a conversation. That's how he hired me. No right? details. No details. No, no hey, like, we're hey, five get you races. fitted in the car nope. here. This is no, yeah. no, you know, no five races or the season. <laughs> it's just we started that weekend, and now uh, you know it took. Hopefully, I got another shot, and you know, and the next week I knew I was in the car. Okay, I'm in it again, and still I didn't know if I was getting paid or not. You know, <laughs> and about three weeks later, a check came in the mail. So that's good. Yep. So that's good. We got a check, and uh, and the funny thing was the check was just enough money that I didn't know if it was for like one race and he was paying <laughs> me really good, you know, like, right. oh man, this is re really fair. Or it was for like all the races <laughs> or if it was, and we never talked about it, you know, like I wasn't, you know, That's like James awesome. isn't the type of person that you go to him and you start, you talk about that kind right. of stuff, you know, you kind of like, you just let him make his own decisions. You just try to, you try to fit yourself into it all. Right. <laughs> Over the course of the season, I started figuring out that he was paying me monthly. Right. And the funny thing was, like, it didn't matter where I finished. It didn't matter. Hey, I just got a monthly yeah, check. It was the same, same amount every month. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we finished 12th at Michigan. We, you know, yeah, like. And no no extra. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I just got the same amount of money. And it and it really, it was fair wage, but it wasn't, like, I was probably, like, the lowest paid cup driver. Right. You know, but I was 19, you know. Yeah. So, at least a couple months in, though, you know, you can budget right. maybe for X amount. By the time I knew how much <laughs> yeah. money I was going to make. So, good. that was good. And um, he did forget to pay me one month, which was kind of nerve-wracking. <laughs> but he caught up on that. But the the funny thing, going back on how James is somebody that he, he knows how to take care of you and he knows, you know, he just doesn't like to say it or he doesn't, you know, he's not like outspoken on it. We got to Homestead and he handed me a check and it was for basically like four months of what he was, had been paying oh, me. Nice. And he just, it was, and he said, you know, hey, you did a good job this year. You know, you'll probably appreciate this in the off season. And I was like, <laughs> Which is oh my gosh. a very high compliment. Right. It was <laughs> that's, a very, the best that's the best you can yeah. get out of James. <laughs> So it, it was kind of neat, you know, <laughs> on, on a professional standpoint and being a professional driver, I'm glad I didn't have a family at the time or right. was trying to support, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I was... That could have been a lot more stressful. Right, it was a lot more stressful, but fortunately I was just a, uh, you know, I was just a young kid, single with an apartment, you know, I didn't need any <laughs> money anyway, so it was, um, so it was nice, but he's, uh, he's just a, he's just an old school racer and, and, um... But he knows he knows what what a race car needs. He knows what a race team needs, and I was really fortunate to drive for him. and And I was really fortunate that he kept me in the car for as long as he did because he's he's known to to burn through drivers. Right. But uh, but he liked me for some reason. And uh, and by the end of the year, one of the, the team manager actually came to me and he's like, you know, we've never had a driver in a car as long as you. <laughs> He's like, no That's driver awesome. has actually run. You've as outlasted everyone. You've outlasted everyone. <laughs> Nobody's ever run as many consecutive races as you. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, in his long career as an owner, I accomplished something. Yeah, that's a major accomplishment. <laughs> yep. And so after that, and still today, I would say, you know, driving for smaller underfunded teams, you probably go into each weekend with a little bit different strategy mm -hmm. how do you approach it what has been your the goals that you're setting for your seasons you're doing double duty driving both cup and xfinity 
-hmm. So how do you approach each race weekend? Yeah, we just um, we just have a little bit different game plan and goals than, than some of the bigger teams do. Uh, but we don't, you know, the, the most important thing about driving for a smaller independent team is is to not really look at the greener grass and to um, to embrace what you have. Because I, I've I've spent time, I mean, even when I was driving for James and, and some of the other small teams I drove for, it's so easy to get just so frustrated about what you don't have. Right. You know, and, and, and that, that was one of the t things I struggled with driving for James because he's a tough guy to drive for and he's, he's a, he puts a lot of pressure on you. So when you don't do well, you're instantly wanting to be like, well, it's because of this, it's because right. of that, you know, and, and you gotta, f you just gotta forget about that because there's certain things as a small team that you don't have the budget for that you can't complain about that stuff. Um, you know, I've driven for teams that, that we did not have the budget to get a, a good engine program. We all knew it. The owner knew it. The team knew it. The driver knows it. Sponsors know it. We all know that we're, right. we don't have the horsepower. So really there's no point in getting on the radio midway through the race and cussing about right. how you're getting beat down the straightaway. You know, you just, you just have to make the best uh, with what you got. And, and that was one of the biggest things that I've had to learn over the past few years. And that's that I've had to kind of mature into is, not looking at the greener grass, but rather looking at your situation and saying, okay, we're not underfunded. We're properly funded for what we are. Right. We just have to figure out how to make the best with what we have. And you'll, and you'll really find that those times that you struggle as a small team and that, um, that you're upset with how you run, it's not because of the excuses of money and things like that. There are things you can do to do better. Our cars aren't always perfect. We do make mistakes. We hit the splitter when we unload. We, you know, the driver makes mistakes some sometimes. You know, it's, it all happens. So it's it's more healthy to look back on yourself after a weekend and say, you know, I think I can do better as a driver here, and I think the crew can do better here, and we can have a better car. And with the same funding that we've got, we can run five spots spots better than what we did today. And that's super important because as a driver, you're naturally a competitive person, but if you're not able to look at the positive and feel like you're accomplishing something, it's easy to get down. Yeah, you just can't you just can't give up on your guys and your teams and and sometimes it's tough to uh to hear the teams referred to as as underfunded or 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 you know, I've gotten a lot of really good credit from people um, especially in the past year, like, man, you do so much with so little, but like my guys work seven days a week, they work their tails off. And I don't like, I don't want them to hear that, right. you know, like, I don't want them to hear that. that I don't Cause want, they're working as hard as anybody right, else. They're working there. as hard as anybody else. And I, I don't want to get a compliment at their expense. Right. Um, you know, I think that, that we all know what we have and it's, it's cool to compliment us all on how we perform, but, but we're, we're certainly not looking at the greener grass. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> and, and you have developed a good reputation for yourself with not only what you do in the car but also with getting cars into the show mm -hmm. um just as a as a qualifier was that something that you focused on or has that always been something that came naturally to you i mean i was a i was a pretty good qualifier growing up but i i don't know if i was great i mean i i definitely had some polls and and asa and stuff but when i got my first few opportunities in the sprint cup series um, it was with teams that didn't have uh, any locked-in status or any pedigree in the in the sport, and they were 100%. Um, their focus was to get in the show, and uh, and that's how we paid our bills was basically off of last place prize money because if you get in the race, that's what you're guaranteed. Right. If we had the money to run the whole race, we would. Uh, but if we didn't, we we had to take that last place prize money, 
and and that's what that's what paid the bills for a long time and and so I kind of had to learn how to qualify because otherwise I wasn't going to have a job. Right. And and I'm grateful for that because it actually showed some real value. It showed it showed that I had some real value to some of these teams. It wasn't the the team owners at the time on that side of the garage uh because of what I was doing for multiple teams qualifying into the race and making the show. There was no um subjective sub- subjectivity of well he's good at this or he's not good at that or we want, don't want him for that it was flat out he can make the race yeah like and that's we need him yep and and i had multiple team owners that approached me that that wanted me to drive their cars for that reason and that that in itself got me opportunities to race for teams that had the money to race and uh, and which turned into uh, now all of a sudden i'm a full-time sprint cup driver right so it's uh it was it was a really interesting way to start my sprint cup career especially in a time where young drivers are are not starting at the bottom they're starting at the top and getting you know cool rides right. and big sponsors and and getting the keys to a car that can win the race um I kind of felt like I was doing it the old school way and uh and starting at the bottom and and working my way up and yeah. and I really uh I really it, it took a good two two and a half years for me to really appreciate that, um, but now I'm I'm extremely proud of it. I mean, I've this is I think my fifth year in the Sprint Cup Series, and I've had an opportunity to see race teams perform at a high level from a distance, but still in the garage. I've gotten to see these drivers win and lose championships without having to focus on myself. Um, because I've been doing my own thing. We've we've had to start and park for right. a year. We've had to qualify in, but I'm still a fan of the show, and I'm still right there, and I've learned a lot. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And now, not only are you full-time in Cup Series, full-time in Xfinity, so pulling double duty every weekend. Yeah. What's that like on like our, some of our non-companion events? You're flying back and forth, and yeah, it's it's been. Uh, it's been tough. It's it's fun. It's the extra seat time has been extremely valuable. It goes kind of goes back to the ten thousand hours. Um, I feel like the more time I can spend in a race car, the better I'm going to be. And um, and it's probably not something I can do forever. I mean, it's uh, it takes a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of energy. And at some point, you know, uh, an opportunity is going to arise on either end that's going to that's going to want my full attention. Right. But since then, I mean, I've I've just had a great time driving for Johnny Davis. Um, I feel like we've, when I first started with him, he he had an incredible boost of confidence in his equipment because he got to see uh, what I could do in his cars, and we've had some top tens, and not and not just at super speedways, but at short tracks and and on a road course, and and uh, and we've run well at a wide variety of racetracks. So it's it's been really cool and really re- rewarding for myself and for that race team um, to do that. The challenge that we see. Um, at JD Motorsports is just keeping up with the evolution of of the cars and constantly keeping fresh cars underneath us and constantly keeping fresh parts underneath us. They they work extremely hard and they just have to we have to constantly stay on top of our stuff because we can work really hard one week about okay we want to update our aero package we want to update some things that we haven't paid attention to but if we do that stuff and we neglect some of the quality control items it's so easy to have a part failure and you finish 30th so those are kind of the challenges that we see moving forward we feel like we've got if if JD Motorsports was 70% of the way there i feel like we got ourselves up to 85% of the way there and that last 10 to 15% you know is just going to be really close attention to details and trying to squeeze that last little bit out of it. 
completely switching directions off the track, not only are you, you know, pulling double duty and handling all this, <laughs> you're an avid triathlete. Yeah. Like really impressively training all <laughs> the time. And I, you've got a big event coming up. I think you're doing Montremblant, which I know a lot of people in the garage are doing. Yeah. Um, been talking to Nick Terry about it. Yeah, and, I'm so pumped and for Blake him. And, yeah, it, there's a handful of people, and it just sounds awesome. Yeah. And are you doing any triathlons this year? I'm gonna do the sprint triathlons again. I've really got to get swimming figured out. Yeah. Like it is just not my deal. I hate it. Yeah. I really absolutely <laughs> hate it. I love the water, but yeah, there. I think what frustrates me is I've always been pretty good at endurance sports. Like mm-hmm. I don't mind putting in the hours to run or bike but there's a lot of technique involved with swimming and i feel like i started off so behind it's like a golf frustrates me yeah (laughs) yeah it's like a golf swing i mean and the funny thing about swimming is like the the if your technique is struggling you're gonna have to work harder so hard and you go slower (laughs) and you get more tired like it's just it's uh, it's so crazy you can't you know if you're running and you just got the grit and the and the determination and the pain tolerance you push push through it you go faster (laughs) and you just you know and you're beat at the end of it but if you push harder in the swim you're just there's no payoff no so but i I, i'm definitely really into triathlon big fan of endurance sports and it's really cool it's it's made uh it's made a big difference on my my driving career inside and out of the car um, it's, it's just helped me out a bunch and, and it's a great hobby. It's something I really enjoy doing. Like you said, I'm going to, uh, Montreal, just outside Montreal to Montremblant, Canada to do a half Ironman, um, this coming week. And so tell everybody what the distances are yes. for half Ironman. Cause they're pretty impressive. Right. <laughs> so it, it is, it's a, it's a heck of an event. Um, the first thing you do is you swim is a 1.2 mile swim. And then, uh, there's a 56 mile bike ride and a 13.1 mile um, half marathon after the bike ride and uh, a triathlon is always in that order swim bike run and it's uh it takes about my my goal time will hopefully be in the four and a half hour range it's fine but it can take people anywhere from four hours to seven hours to complete and you're trying to qualify for worlds did yeah I that with so this it's, event? it's really so what time is it based off time you would need to hit under a certain time? To it's, qualify? There's no specific time. It's based on um, your age group and who and finishes ranking. where. Okay. So um, basically in Montremblant, there will be probably two slots available out of my age group. And uh, so I'll have to finish in the top two. Wow. The only weird thing is that if the winner of my age group already has a slot to world championships, then it goes to the next person. So gotcha. you can finish fifth or sixth and still get a slot. But if you want to guarantee yourself a slot, you have to race your way in. So um, I'll have to do it in, in around four and a half hours to do that. And uh, and there will be about 150 people in my age group. So wow. um, it's it's just it's so it's very weather dependent for me. I don't you know, the uh, my nutrition during the race is going to be a factor and how I feel when I get off the bike. And, and uh, the courses, the bike course has a lot of climbs. It's It's a challenging bike course. It's a challenging run. Um, it's just overall, it's an endurance challenge. So, um, I don't know how I can do, I mean, I know how, I know how fast I can swim on my own 1.2 miles. I know how fast I can ride a bike for 56 miles. I know how fast I can run a half marathon, but I don't know how fast I can do the three of them. Right. Yeah. Putting it all together and competitors. I, I remember. So the first 
triathlon event I did was the first sprint one of Jimmy's last year mm-hmm. and going into the swim when you're getting hit by other people yeah. swimming I was like this is ridiculous yeah, you're climbing is over on? top of people that is probably and one the, of the women's most one was parts. nothing compared to the guys <laughs> so I can only imagine for a half Ironman what that would be like yeah. it, it's so it's really not just what you can do it's if you get affected by yeah. other competitors too. it's a lot of fun I, I've you know one of the things that really hooked me for endurance sports um, that that helped me go from exercising to training um, was was really targeting targeting a specific way to train people that are hobby joggers and that just go running a couple times a week to stay uh, fit and they hit the gym you know they're typically run two and a half miles about right. as fast as they can run two and a half miles their knees hurt when they're done they're completely winded and they look at someone like me and they go how on earth can you run 13 miles or 26 miles or whatever. And the funny thing is the response is I'm not doing it anything like how you're <laughs> yeah. doing it. I'm not going out 100%. You know, you right. have to start in training. You have to train at a very low level and uh, you have to train slow. You have to train easy. You know, you have to keep your body in a good condition because if you just go out and blast every single run, I mean, I run five times a week. Yeah. I can't blast every single run five times and a week. And that's in addition to biking right. and swimming. You right. can't I, wear yourself out yeah, like you that. you can't. So I can run a mile in the low five-minute range if I wanted to, but if I did that every day, it would. Uh, I'd never be able to swim or bike. Right. <laughs> or I wouldn't be able to run either. So, um you know, I, I really try to encourage people that are interested in training or interested in running. They're like, oh, man, I could never run with you or I could never keep up with you. And it's like, well, actually, my training runs are at a 830 minute per mile pace. I right. just I trot along. I get my heart rate to a certain level and uh, and I'm trying to train my aerobic system to burn fat and not, you know, not carbohydrates and glycogen. So, and did you work with a trainer to figure all of this out to start, or did you just kind of trial and error figure out where you needed um, to be? A little bit of everything. A lot of it's trial and error. Um, I have a triathlon coach named Jamie Yon who mm-hmm. coaches Jimmy as well um, down in Charlotte. So he's he's got a wealth of knowledge. He's a retired professional triathlete, and uh, and I and I'm definitely a student of the sport as well. I, I read a lot of books and and I do a lot of homework and and uh, and I have all the right tools and everything. I wear heart rate monitors and. And uh, and keep the GPS GPS watch on and and uh, and and it's fun because with the right tools you can actually quantify your body's performance and uh, and you can see your progression over time and and um, for myself I've I can look at my stats from now and a year ago and it's just a tremendously different look it just looks different it's it's much better so it's cool to kind of see your uh, your training develop over time that's awesome i saw where your dad also competes yeah triathlons with you and he's fast yeah my dad is fast <laughs> he's definitely genetically gifted he's he was a, a high school athlete there's actually track records in high school that that at my high school that i went to that still has his name on him um he i think he holds a four by 100 record at my school nice so, um he picked up triathlon a handful of years ago or he picked up duathlon a handful of years ago he wasn't a swimmer at all and um and then him and I started doing triathlon together, and uh, and man, he's fully, uh, he's fully into it. Um, he's been doing. He's already done about three half Ironmans this year. Um, he does well at it. Uh, he won a big sprint race um, in Iowa recently, and and um, he's just he's got he's got a lot of speed in him. So him and I are 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 about the same speed in a 5K. He's a little faster than I am. 
Uh, but I think if I'm fresh, I can I can get them. Nice. So you're gonna beat him in Montre Blunt. Is oh, I don't know. <laughs> the, the only thing is, I get a um, I'll get a little bit of a head start with him out of the water. I'll out swim him by a handful of minutes, and and he's got the capability to to run me down. But <laughs> I hope he doesn't, because I'd like to. Uh, <laughs> You know, to to go 4:30, I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna have to be pretty solid in all yeah. three sports. That's awesome. And so, in addition to the double duty racing, the triathlon training, you and your wife just had a baby, so you've got a newborn at home. How are you juggling yeah. all of this? Um, it's really tough. It's uh, you know, I don't I'm not the best at balancing things sometimes, and and so you know, my wife and I were we're just super proud. We just had a baby boy named Beckham. And, uh, and fortunately we had him just right at the tail end of my training for <laughs> Montremblant. So we're going to go to Montremblant and do my race and, you know, kind of settle down from the training. I mean, I was putting it in some 2018, 20 hour, 22 hour weeks in training. So it was nice to kind of get that over with before there was a baby here. You know, we're just super excited. We got a nice little family and, and we live in Charlotte. We love our home. And, uh, and it's just, uh, I don't know. We're just, we're kind of real life people. We've yeah. got a lot of stuff going on and, and I travel a lot. Um, and I've got a hobby that takes a lot of time, but at the end of the day, family is, is number one. And, and that's what's, you know, going to prevail over any type of triathlon. Well, Landon, this has been really interesting and I definitely think that you're very inspiring. So thanks for <laughs> taking the time to come on today. Thank you. We very appreciate much. it. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys have a great show, and, and this is, I love how the studio is right here <laughs> in the gift shop at Junior Motorsports. Fan-friendly. <laughs> yeah, it's very fan-friendly. If you ever come to Junior Motorsports, you could just stand here at the window and make, we like an a fish tank. Make faces at yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate the time. Thanks. It's time now for our tip of the week, brought to you by Wella Professionals. Ever wish your blow dry would last just a few more days? I know I do, but unfortunately my hair gets oily and I have to wash it every day. But if you're luckier than I am, here are a few tricks to extend the life of that style. One size does not fit all when it comes to shampoo and conditioners. Using cleansing products that are not designed for your hair type can either leave your hair dry or oily and can shorten your blow dry's lifespan. Which is true. Yes. I found that out. I had to switch shampoos because my hair's so thin and fine that if I use something that's heavy, it looks disgusting. And I'm so. lazy and I don't like to pack my own shampoo and conditioner when I travel, but oh. the hotel ones usually are not that good for your hair. So <laughs> one day I'll grow up. Also, make sure when you blow dry your hair, you get it completely dry. Leaving your hair just slightly moist in very humid climates will spell quick disaster for your mane. Using the right product is essential to maintaining those locks from frizzing. This one's key for me because my hair loves to frizz in a heartbeat. It's one reason I appreciate the dry heat at tracks like Phoenix. Yes. Daytona, yes. not so not much. Not so much. Different story. Daytona July. Yeah, not a good one for the <laughs> hair. Try a silicone-based product because silicone is a natural repellent of moisture. We recommend using Wella Professional Flowing Form Smoothing Balm. Lastly, make sure not to use firm hairsprays. Hair needs movement to prevent oils and styling product buildup. Plus, you don't really want crunchy hair. You can purchase these or any Wella Professionals product at any of the 782 Ulta stores nationwide or purchase them online at Ulta.com. That's all for this episode of Fast Lane Family presented by Wella Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in and a big thanks to Landon Castle for being our guest today. Next week, Kelly and Dale's mom, Miss Brenda Jackson, will be on Fast Lane Family with Mike Davis. 
Fast Lane Family has been brought to you by Wella Professional Hair Care, multi-sensorial hair care products that you will see, touch, and sense the difference from your very first wash. Hair care needs from fine to normal to color to coarse, Wella's got you covered. Wella Professional Hair Care products are available at over 780 Ulta stores nationwide. Visit Ulta.com to find the store nearest you. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. 